Morning, church. Good to see all of you. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I don't know about you, but normally this is my favorite time of year just because for me, Christmas starts at Thanksgiving, and I am perfectly okay with Christmas carols in the stores at this point. I know some of you Grinches don't. That's okay. There's prayer for that. Meet me after service. We'll take care of that, okay? Um, but we're coming into that season. But my, my hope for you is that you've already got some gratitude in your heart. And uh, um, I've been thinking a lot about that lately, largely because um, I'm going to speak on gratitude next week. But just thinking uh, a little bit about this season, um, coupled with the fact that it's already mid-November. I'm still wondering what happened to June. So I don't, I don't know. Anyway, it feels like things are picking up. But anyway, we're here today. Uh, Jesus is here today, and I'm glad that we're um, able to get together. And uh, we're in this, um, thin- actually, I'm in the middle of the series called Presence. Um, and what we're trying to do is explore uh, God's presence with human beings in biblical history. So what we're trying to do is we're opening up the Bible, which, you know, hey, there's a great idea. And looking at places where God actually interacted with human beings and in really trying to learn from those experiences um, and hopefully have some takeaways from them. Um, and, and there's been a couple that we've had. We started a couple weeks ago with Moses and the burning bush, if you'll remember. And one of the t- key takeaways is the fact that holiness is easy to miss. Remember, he shows up, and, and God has to say, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. He didn't know that he was standing on holy ground. And some, so sometimes when God shows up, it's a bit of a surprise, and we, we aren't even aware of it. Um, secondly, uh, last week, we, we talked a little bit about, about Abraham and this bizarre scene where God and Abraham have this covenant between the two of them. And there's this moment where an, an oven or a fire pot and a torch pass by and creates this covenant with Abraham. And as we looked at that, the thing that we, we learned is that sometimes the darkness, because remember it was pitch black, a dreadful darkness, the text says. But one of the reasons why um, things always seem dark is because that's so we can see God better when he actually moves. And if you're feeling like it's darkest before the dawn, hey, guess what? Dawn's coming, right? And uh, that sense of presence is when we're in the presence of God, sometimes we don't notice it, and sometimes the circumstances seem particularly dark because God's going to show up, and he wants to make sure that we see him and understand that. So today, what I'd like to do is to go even further back in history. Uh, biblical history, that is, and uh, come to the old Sunday school classic, the Tower of Babel. Remember the Tower of Babel? Yes, we need to talk about the Tower of Babel. As I was reflecting on all of this, it, it strikes me that we often skip some of these Sunday school stories because we've heard them so often. If you grew up in the church and you grew up in Sunday school, you probably heard this one, and it's easy for us to bypass these stories because we have heard them and we are familiar with them. And if you didn't get them in Sunday school, you probably got them on Veggie Tales, right? You probably had some kind of experience with, with these. Those of us who remember Flannel Graph <laughs> remembers what that, remember what that, that looks like. Um, and what I think happens, at least for me, is when I come back to the story and I open it up and I read it uh, 
read the actual story itself and the context around it, I'm, I'm a little surprised by what I find. Um, the unabridged version is uh, often grittier, and there's often, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's just, there's more to it than that. There's more detail. There's, there's more layers that I have to go through, and of course, that means that I'm going to learn more. And, and so what we want to do is we want to we look at the Tower of, of Babel all over again. I remember when I was a kid growing up, I had a pastor who just decided to call it the Tower of Babel. I don't understand that. It's clearly Babel, because we're talking about languages. So if you want to call it something else, that's fine. I'm going to call it the Tower of Babel. So if you wouldn't mind joining me in Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 11, we're going to open this up. We're going to read through it, um, explore this place where God's presence shows up. Uh, And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn the microscope on and kind of look at this uh, a little bit more. Uh, maybe maybe verse by verse. Oh, there it is right there. Isn't that a fabulous drawing? I don't know what the guy on the front's doing. I have no idea. But this is a, a classic um, etching. So uh, Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to start with verse number 1. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to the city and the tower. Uh, to see the city and the tower and the men were, uh, that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord, and we believe it. Now, it's an interesting story, and there's a couple of um, fascinating details here. Let's take a look at the, the first part. Jason, my thing's not working. There we go. Thank you. Um, now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. A couple of brief things. First of all, this happens immediately after the flood narrative. So Noah and the ark, this happens immediately. And so they started to move in a particular direction, and they found this plain. The plain of Shinar is a real place. It happens to be located right between the Tigris and Euphrates River in modern-day Iraq. It's still there, the plain of of Shinar. And so what they did is they came there, and they settled in that particular place. Now, they said to each other, and I want you to notice this because this language is repeated over and over again, and that's usually a clue that something is going on. If you see a certain word or a phrase that's repeated, especially in the Old Testament, um, there's usually some type of connection, and we need to pay attention to it. So they said to each other, Come, let us. Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Now, let's hit the pause button right here because I think this is an important little bit of of information. If you remember, back in Genesis uh, chapter 
uh, 1 and 2, God makes the earth, he creates it, and he looks at it, and he says that it's not just good, it's, it's very good. And he takes the human being, the first, uh, first human, Adam, and puts him in a garden, and he gives, the, he gives him two commands. First of all, to, to cultivate it and care for it. And what we know from the language here is this idea of cultivating is to do something with it, to make it pleasing to him. Yes, all of the raw materials are there, but to cultivate it, make it productive, do something with it. And so inside of human beings, we have this creative energy largely put there by God. Remember, the first um, recorded event in, in history, at least biblical history, is this. In the beginning, God what? Created. So if we are made in his image, then one of the things that is natural for us to do is to create. And so God actually gives us that, that inside of us and then unleashes it in a very positive way and says, here, there, there's your garden. Now, care for it, but also cultivate it. Do something with it. Are you, are you tracking with me? You see how this is progressing along? And here we are in Genesis 11, and what, they, uh, what they're suggesting to each other, let's not use stone, let's use brick. Now, what's the difference? Stone is irregular. Now, you can go and you can find some fairly uniform stones, but, but they're irregular. Bricks are neat, for the most part. And they bake them thoroughly so they're uniform in length and in size, and they become a much easier material to build with. Folks, this is technology. This is the human being actually being creative, cultivating. Are you with me? So we see this progression to it. Now, this is a good thing, because not only are they creating brick and they're making it more uniform so that it's usable for them, they're also using a particular type of, of uh, mortar. It's called tar. It happens to be kind of like a, a tree pitch of, of some type. Uh, and it's still used to this day, by the way. In certain uh, rural parts of, of Iraq, they still use this technique to build homes, which I find fascinating. And so they created these bricks by baking them, then they use the brick instead of stone. Don't miss that little piece. This is technology moving human beings along in tar from mortar. But notice what happens next. Then they said, ah, this is where human beings get into trouble sometimes. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. So far, so good, I think. But why? So that we may make a name for ourselves. All of a sudden, things just changed a little bit. This is not technology and the advancement of, of human beings in the sense of the God-given directive to cultivate. Now there's something else because I'm pretty sure God already gave them their name. And then notice this. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Didn't God say in Genesis chapter 1 to fill the earth and rule over it? The whole earth? And now they're worried about being scattered? He's beginning to see where there's certain question marks now. 
What, what, what is happening here? So they want to build this tower. Uh, I think the, the term often in that part of the world would be ziggurat. And they want to make a name for themselves. The word here in Hebrew is not just your name, but it also carries with it the idea of fame or memorial, to be remembered, right? To make a name for yourself. Otherwise, we'll, we will be scattered. We will be forgotten. So back in um, Genesis chapter 1, as I said, God said, gave them this command to fill the earth. By the way, it's the same command God reiterated in Genesis chapter 9 when Noah and his family got off the boat. So we've seen this thing repeated, and now all of a sudden, they don't want to go do this. <clears throat> so what's going on here? Well, I think there's this recognition that you've got a group of people, and they're, they've created some technology, and they're doing something very different, and, and they're working on this, and they, they have this realization that they are better together, that we can do these things together, and we need to stay together. We can build this thing, and it will, it'll, it'll make a big difference. But I think what's happening is here, they're trying to gain their identity, make a name for themselves, make an identity based on something other than God. Are you with me on this one? And so what, what's actually occurring here, if we strip away the layers, they're using technology to supplant, to replace God. At its very core, they're using this kind of technology to replace God. Not in honor of Him, not to fulfill that basic um, God-given creative urge that human beings have. It's not for that. It's something else entirely. They are trying to build an identity for themselves that is apart from God, ultimately. Now, verse 5. Go ahead and give me the next slide. I love this. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. That's kind of ironic. They're trying to build a tower to the heavens, and it was like God was like, well, I wonder what they're doing. So he shows up, which I think is really funny. So all this effort, and God's planning on coming down anyhow, right? Boy, that's not a theme that ever happens in my life. I don't know about you, but... The Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. <laughs> and he, he, he recognizes what's happening. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Cooperation is a powerful tool. Which is why I find it very interesting that later on in the New Testament, one of the things that we see is this language that Paul uses about the body and how the body needs different parts. No one person is supposed to do all of this. You are not supposed to live your life alone. By the way, you can't because I need you, you need me. We need each other in order to be this thing called the church. We need this each other in order to, to be um, fully engaged human beings. This notion of self-reliant bootstrapping that we find in American culture is not biblical. Now, it doesn't mean you don't do your part, but it's not a biblical concept. We need each other in order to live life to its fullest. And so then he says, notice, here's the language again. Come let us. 
Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So here are these human beings. Come, let us. Come, let us. Then God says, come, let us. See how this becomes important now that we see the same language that's going on? Same, as a people, they're using the same language. Now, he wants to confuse the language. Here's the thing. God gets a certain amount of criticism for this. Can we, can we just be honest about that? <clears throat> God gets some criticism for this. Um, I've, I've read some scholars in certain circles who say, well, God's a little egotistical. He's a little vain. No, that's not what's going on here. Not at all. And I think we have to be very careful. <clears throat> and I want to offer a different perspective. Why would God confuse this language? God's already recognized that human beings, when they're acting cooperatively, can do amazing things. Why? Because he created us. He understands this. The problem is that it often gets misdirected or misguided. And so what, what's happening here is that God is confusing the language not because he's feeling threatened. He's doing it for the human being's protection. Think about this. If human beings try to replace God with their own technology, in this case, they're going to find themselves in a position for which they are not qualified. We are not qualified to do the job that God does. Right? I mean, think about it. This is a one, one of the reasons why we have to be very careful with this word judgment. I am not qualified to judge anybody. I'm not qualified to judge their heart. In fact, it's pretty clear to me, as Jesus went through and taught his disciples, the whole point to this is, I'm not capable of judging other people. My job is to offer them heaven, and offer them heaven, and offer them heaven, and offer them heaven through Jesus, right? But I don't know what that condition of their heart is. We are not qualified for God's job, and frankly, I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want that job. And so what God has done here is he's confused the language not because he's feeling a certain amount of threat from human beings and their power. God is doing this for human beings' protection. You really don't want to go down this road because you're going to find yourself in a position that you can't really handle. And I think he's right in doing so. And not just because it's in the Bible. It just makes some sense to me. So I don't think that God deserves criticism here. Now, the second thing that I find fascinating is he uses, he uses language. Why? Why does he confuse the language? This is an interesting concept. Well, I think there's a couple of ways that we can answer this, but for me, the one that's most compelling is the fact that language creates culture. If you think about it, language creates culture. Um, I've said this in some of the leadership classes that I've done, is the one non-negotiable I have in any church that I pastor is I get to choose the language. And that's not an egotistical thing. That is a culture thing. If we're going to build culture, we've got to have certain language around it because language builds culture. And I think it's really important that we recognize that God comes down, he confuses the language because language builds culture. And if you have different languages and different cultures, then you have something beautiful. It's called diversity. And diversity was always intended to be a very good thing. Not one identity that's in and of itself, but rather diverse identities. Is this making sense? And so then in verse 9, they called, they called it Babel. 
and he scattered them and filled the earth. This is interesting to me. Because he's multiple cultures because of the language, and then he scatters them over the entire earth. And I find this fascinating because, as I understand Genesis chapter 1, as human beings, <laughs> what we are collectively and individually are God's representatives on earth. We're supposed to fill the earth and it depends on what translation you use, have dominion over it, to have stewardship over it. And so part of our role is not that we have rights to the earth, but rather we have responsibilities to the earth, to this created order. We are God's representatives, bearers of the divine. Remember, because we're made in his image, right? We are his representatives on earth. And God wants us to be scattered over the whole earth so that we can fulfill that destiny that he's created for us. So the fact that they all wanted to be in one spot, God's like, no, you're missing the point. And so he scatters them from there for the simple reason that he's moving them towards the destiny that he's created them for. It's a beautiful picture, actually. And it makes a, a whole lot of sense. God wants human beings to be his representatives on the whole earth, not just the plain of Shinar. That makes sense. So, presence of God. God shows up. And he confuses the language. And he does this thing and he moves human beings to their destiny. And diversity is supposed to be a very good thing, but unfortunately it too is corrupted by sin. We call it racism and we call it prejudice. Let's just be honest about that. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how might God gather his people now? How might he forge them into um, an identity in him that includes diversity? How might he do this? How might he gather his people without the risk of a single identity outside of him? So how can he have both diversity and how can he have this kind of unity that it seems like he wants. Well, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> because God does this in dramatic fashion. So I want you to fast forward a few thousand years. And I want you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 2. <laughs> this is so cool. <laughs> I really like this. Acts chapter 2. Another very familiar story. We have talked about it often uh, here. And I'm beginning to read in verse 1. I want you to hear this. By the way, I left my Bible in my office, and so I had to pick up one of my daughters. So if you like the colorful one, it's awesome. I think it reads better, too. I'm not sure. Okay. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they, meaning Jesus' disciples, were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house they were, uh, where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and get this, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. 
When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Isn't this cool? This is really cool. Utterly amazed, they, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans, which by the way, in that um, time frame means they were kind of rednecks. Okay, it's true. They're kind of hicks. Uh, then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And it goes and he lists um, all of those names. <clears throat> uh, the, the various uh, um, languages that are being spoken. And we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Okay, okay, so think about this, right? So the Tower of Babel, the languages got confused. And at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit shows up, they hear in their own language. I just find that incredibly amazing that this is how God is choosing to do this. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, so God came down again? Yeah, he did. God comes down again. This time he doesn't confuse it. Rather, he says, okay, we can work with all these languages. It's fine. We can do that. We've created all of these. So there's other tongues. By the way, every nation under heaven, they didn't have to build anything to heaven. Heaven came down again, which is really cool. And in his own language, and what did they hear? What does it say that they hear? I love this. The mighty works of God. Not about the cities or the towers that other people have built, but rather the mighty works of God through Jesus. Because remember, these are his disciples, and they just spent a bunch of time with, with Jesus. And they ask themselves this great question. What does this mean? And you know what? I think that's the same question that we all ask today. What does all this mean? What does this mean? So I got a couple of thoughts. The first one is, that, like I mentioned, the Spirit of God came down to unify humanity in the identity of Jesus. Not in their own identities, but the identities of Jesus. Have you ever had the opportunity to meet a Christian from another country? Yeah. And isn't it cool? Because you know what? They, they break bread and they, they, they drink juice or wine too. And they know what the cross is. And they know what an empty tomb is. We're brothers and sisters to them. And, and that part is just an amazing thing to me that you've heard the same stories I have and you believe the same things that I do because you've read the same book that I have and you speak a completely different language. It's astonishing to me. And yet we can still have that commonality to it. And it's not about pride-filled works, about the things that we do, this identity we have, but rather the identity we have is in God-breathed grace and mercy and hope and healing and all of those things that human beings def- you know, just desperately need. And I, I keep thinking to myself, when I, whenever I think about the Holy Spirit coming down, whenever I think about God coming down, we spend all this time and energy trying to get people into heaven. You know what? Jesus was more interested in bringing heaven to earth than he was getting all of this into heaven. And that's what the church is. We're outposts of this idea of bringing heaven to earth and the way we care for one another and the way we, we deal with one another and how we, we hope and we pray and this diversity that we have, even within this congregation, we have diversity. We're coming from different places and, and different experiences, and yet here we are together claiming that there's grace and hope and mercy in Jesus, bringing heaven to earth. And the other takeaway is kind of the big idea. This is the thing I want you to think about. And it's, uh, it's this. Next slide. 
Uh, next slide, sorry. <clears throat> God speaks so we understand him. In their own tongue, the mighty works of God. And I just find it amazing. Miss Kay did not know I was preaching on this, and what did she talk about in her prayer today? Don't tell me the Holy Spirit doesn't show up and do some amazing things, right? The whole point is, is that God speaks to us in ways that we understand. I think he wants to do that. Now, sometimes we're not listening. I understand that, okay? But the point is, is that I think God wants to speak to us, and he wants to speak to us so we understand, so that we, we hear his voice and we know his voice. In their own language, Moses needed a burning bush at that moment in time. He's on the backside of the desert. He needs something to capture his attention. So there's this bush. It's burning. It's not being consumed. That's weird. Let me go check it out. This deep sleep comes over Abraham, and he sees two things that he does get, a torch and a fire pot and a covenant type of arrangement. There's a cow. It's split in half. You walk through it if you're going to create a covenant with somebody in that day and age. It's so that he understands. Does that make sense? God wants us to understand, and so he speaks in a way that we understand. And oh, by, by the way, we're coming up on Christmas. You want to know why Jesus came as a baby? So we understand. We understand babies. He wants us to understand. And so he speaks in those languages. So maybe today, I don't know where you are. Maybe today, you're feeling confused. Maybe today, you're feeling a little scattered. <laughs> I know what that's like in my house. Maybe today, you're, you're feeling like you're missing something. Or you're missing out on something. Maybe today, you can't hear God. You ever been in that place where you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? I hate when that happens. And yet I understand that. Maybe that's where you are today. If that is you, for whatever reason, how big or how small it is, would you please let us pray with you? Nobody's going to force you. Nobody's going to make you feel weird. And then Pastor James and I, we're going to go sit over in the back. And we want to pray with you because we want you to experience the presence of God. Because in our opinion, things change in the presence of God. Not just confused language, but rather building an identity where he speaks to us in our own language. the presence of God, we are standing on holy ground, even if we don't know it. And sometimes that stuff that you're feeling, that darkness closing in, whatever, is only because God is ready to do something truly astonishing. That's what we desire for you. That's what we desire for all of us.